Glory. Praise the Lord. Good to see each one of you. We're glad that you're here. Uh, we have been spending the last few weeks going through talking about Joshua and the children of Israel uh, when, of course, they made their journey into the land of Canaan under the leadership of Joshua uh, and all of the details that had surrounded all of that. But I, I just want to share with you today uh, really from my heart to, to all of you who are in this auditorium this morning, everybody who also is watching online with us today, um, basically what I want to talk to you about today and, and deal with today is what is really important, what really matters in life. And we want to look at it from the perspective of Scripture. Uh, all of us in our lives, we all choose different things in our lives, and we make choices every day, um, and those choices are made uh, based upon a lot of different circumstances and different reasons, but the one choice that I want to talk to you about today is an eternal choice that you will have to eventually make in your own heart and life, and all of us make it, um, whether we do it in the affirmative or the positive or we do it in the negative. And uh, so the question that I want to ask you today, and it's a question that you're going to need to ask in your own heart in life, is one direction in life better than another? Physically, in the physical life that we live in, uh, some may choose different paths of life, but the one that I'm talking about this morning is the eternal path, uh, the road that we're on for eternity's sake. Uh, does it matter which path you're on when it comes to those things that are eternal in our lives? Probably going to take you back for a little bit and uh, just kind of walk back through a little bit of time. And for many of you, will, you, will, you will remember this. How many of you remember that age-old um, movie that is still out there. It's the same old adventure that's been out for a number of years. Just a little nostalgia moment for a minute. How many of y'all remember Alice in Wonderland? Any of y'all remember Alice in Wonderland? Let me ask you another question. Let me ask you, how many of y'all have ever sat and watched Alice in Wonderland? In total, from start to finish. Anybody? How many of you have watched it multiple times? How many of you saw it one time and that was enough? Huh? Okay. There was a scene in Alice in Wonderland that went something like this. Matter of fact, Alice, when she found herself in Wonderland, had a conversation with a Cheshire cat. And here's the way the conversation went. Alice asked the cat this question. Would you please tell me which way I ought to walk from here? And then the cat responds to Alice. Well, that, dis that depends a good deal on where you want to get to. Well, Alice makes the next statement. She says, I don't much care where. And then the cat responds with this. Then it doesn't matter which way you walk. Alice interrupted him before he finished. And she interrupted him with this statement. So long as I get somewhere. And then, of course, the Cheshire cat closes the conversation this way. Oh, you're sure to do that if you only walk long enough. You know, that conversation is more profound 
probably than what it appears. Because each one of us, every one of us in this building and all of those who are watching online this morning are traveling down a path in life that you have chosen. It's a path, it's a path that you've chosen. It's a path that you have decided to walk down. Uh, physically, in the physical life that we live in, it's a path that we choose. And based upon various uh, denominations of things that, it, that bring us to that choice. But the one that I want to really spend a lot of time to talk to you about this morning is an eternal path. What does that path look like for you? Which eternal path are you walking down today? Which eternal path have you chosen to make a part of your life? But do you know where the path that you're on is eventually going to carry you? Do you know what is at the end of that path? You know, one of the intriguing things to me about the Scripture is this. Over and over and over again, when you go back in the Old Testament, here's one of the things that you will find. Matter of fact, Noah was thought to probably be a little off in his rocker. Matter of fact, they thought Noah was probably a little possibly to have been deranged because here he is, he's building this ark, he's building this boat um, that is supposedly going to provide safety. Uh, during this uh, tremendous judgment that was going to be coming. So for 120 years, Noah preaches that judgment is coming. And my question to you, at the end of the day, after it was all said and done, after he got the ark built and the rains began to fall, I want to ask you a simple question. How many went in the ark? Not counting the animals, but how many went into the ark? Let me answer, I'll answer the question for you. There were only eight. Only eight went into the ark. There were only eight who had the faith to believe that that God would take care of them and that the ark would be that ark of safety that they would need in their lives. All of the rest of them were destroyed when the rains began to fall and judgment began to come. And then we come to Moses, and as you fast forward a little bit, you come to Moses Moses took the children of Israel before they went into the land of Canaan and he showed them two mountains. And basically, here's what he did with them, with the children of Israel. He said, you need to choose today which one of these two mountains that you want to walk toward, either the mountain of cursing or the mountain of blessing. But it's a choice that you have to make. It's a choice for you. You fast forward it a little bit later and we find that Twelve spies go into the land of Canaan. In the book of Numbers, twelve of them go into the land of Canaan and get ready because let me paint the scenario for you. They all saw, they all saw the same details. They all saw the same thing. Twelve of them came back after 40 days and they came back and they reported to Moses and to the children of Israel. And when they came back and they reported to Moses and the children of Israel out of the twelve that went in, yes, let me go ahead and paint the scenario for you. There were only two out of the twelve that chose just to follow and trust God for the promises that God had already made to them. They all saw the same thing. They all looked at the same data. 
And matter of fact, they said of the 10 that came out with the majority report, here's what they said. Well, there's Anakins, there's giants in the land. And if we're not careful, our children are going to become prey. There is absolutely no way that we can take. They've got walled cities. they got fortresses everywhere. There's no way we can take this land. But there were two of them. One by the name of Joshua, who had been with Moses since he was a youth had watched God over and over and over and over again do just miraculous things. And then, of course, there was Caleb. And there was good old Caleb. Caleb goes into the land of Canaan with Joshua. Joshua and Caleb, as Joshua leads the children of Israel into the land of Canaan, but, you know, it didn't stop there either. Matter of fact, a well-known prophet by the name of Elijah has a showdown on Mount Carmel. And he tells King Ahab, he says, I want you to gather, I want you to get all the prophets of Baal, and I want you to gather them together on Mount Carmel and all of the other priests. I want you to bring them all together on Mount Carmel. They all came together on Mount Carmel, and they erected this altar, and they began to prepare, and and, and Elijah said, I'll tell you what, you go ahead and go first. And let's see, basically what we're going to do today is we're going to make a decision. Either God's who he says that he is or he's not. And so here's the way the rest of that event goes. It's, a, it's an event that is, that is very common to all of us. And here's the way it goes. So they get together, all of the prophets of Baal, and they begin to, to cut themselves, and they begin to jump up and down, and, and they begin to circle this altar, and they're crying out and calling on their gods to bring about this magnificent demonstration of power on this altar. And guess what? Hours go by and nothing happens. And Elijah finally says, enough is enough. He said, matter of fact, let's repair the altar. So Elijah helps them. They get the altar all repaired. And Elijah says, I want you to do something else. I want you to go to get several containers of water. I want you to get those containers of water, and I want you to bring those containers of water, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to soak down the altar. I want you to soak it down to where the water's running off of it. And oh, by the way, the moat that's around it, I want you to fill it with water as well. So when they got it finished, Elijah gets down on his knees toward heaven, and he begins to pray to the God of heaven who is a living God. And the demonstration of the power of God falls on that altar. The fire from heaven comes down. It consumes the altar that's there in front. It lifts up all of the water that's around the altar. And Elijah looks at the crowd and says, If God is who he claims he is, then follow God. And if not, then do something else. You know, Joshua... As he was coming to the end of his life, as he began to share the things that, that he had witnessed God do, and he, and he began to challenge Israel, he said, you need to make sure that you follow God. In all that you do, you need to make sure that you follow God because he is the one who will take care and lead the way for you. You need to follow God. And matter of fact, here's what Joshua said. He said, as for me and my house, and I know we say this, we say it all the time. We've probably got it on plaques everywhere and everything else. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Over and over and over again in the Scripture, We're challenged to make a choice. 
And everybody in this building this morning, I don't care who you are. I don't care what background you have. I don't care what your social standing is. I don't care where you are in school. I don't care how many degrees you have behind your name. Every single person under the sound of my voice today, at some point in time in life, you're going to be faced with a decision. And it's a decision about eternity. You ready for this? The Bible, the scripture can answer that question for you. It sets the guidelines, it sets the parameters, it sets the framework for us to make that decision in our own heart and life. And oh, by the way, let me share something else with you this morning. There's not a pause button. There's not a button that you can put this thing on pause. There's not a button there that says, really, well, you know, I, 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 yeah, yeah, but yeah, but no, and it's, it's somewhere in between. There's not one. Matter of fact, in my earlier days, in my programming days, one of the things that we used to have to do is trying to help software be as intelligent as you could to make it perform functions based upon either a simple answer to a yes or no question. One of the things that there was never a part of any of that programming that we ever provided, there was never an in-between yes and no. It was either yes or no, or the only other response was it was not applicable. But it was always yes or no. And my dear friend, this question that I'm asking you today and asking you to consider in your own heart and life is, which direction are you taking in life when it comes to your spiritual well-being? Which path are you on? And you're going to have to, listen, you're going to make that choice one day, one day or the other. Have you ever noticed watching the news? Have you ever read through any of your social media and you're looking at all of these things that are out there today? Have you ever noticed that death is never a respecter of age nor person? And I know many of us, we think we've got plenty of time. Well, I can tell you this morning, my time is ticking by, okay? And I understand and realize that my days are getting shorter. But I can share one thing with you this morning. I've already made that choice. I know where I'm going when I die. And it doesn't make any difference to me when that day comes. Now, I will say this. I'm not wanting to get on the bus tomorrow. Because, quite frankly, I enjoy what I'm doing. But if God calls me tomorrow, if he calls me today, I know where I'm going because of Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible provides us. It's it's God's revelation of his salvation plan for human beings created in his image. Oh, yes. By the way, let me share this one with you. Just just, Just let this one kind of sink in, okay? Do you realize that you're created in his image? God created you in his image. Fearfully and wonderfully made in the very image of God himself. My dear friend, God loves you. God loves you beyond measure. You will never fully, in in our physical finite minds, we will never be able to get our hands or our arms around the fact of how much God loves us. But he does. Because of that, 
the Bible relates for us and shares with us and gives to us the answer to that nagging question that's deep inside of all of our hearts. It's that peace that sometimes is just, it seems like it's empty. It's always there until such time we answer the question in the affirmative and take Jesus Christ as our Savior. And let me say this to you this morning. God's offer of salvation is not exclusive. It's not. Did you know that God's offer of salvation is of no respecter of persons at all? Doesn't care who you are. But I will say this. The path is exclusive, though. The path is exclusive. There is only one way to the Father. And that's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The path is exclusive. But the offer's not. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Do you understand how much God loves you today? Do you? Jesus Christ is the only way, and therefore, please hear this, no one can remain neutral. Because if you don't respond with yes, you've already made the choice of no. And so therefore, if your answer is yes, the path is one way. If the answer is no, it's the other way. It's called an if-then statement in programming. If yes, then this way. If no, then this way. It's the same way with the choice in life that we all have to make. Like Adam, we're all sinners. And we will all die. I don't care who you are. Well, I'll take that back. We'll all die unless you go in the rapture and you're still alive. Could you imagine going that way? Huh? Could you, listen, could you imagine be sitting in a worship service and Jesus Christ returning and says, come to get my bride and take her home. Let me tell you something. We all smile and we rejoice and we hoop and we holler and we hooray and we Amen. But I'm going to ask you a question. Do you know how many people will be left sitting in the pews? Twelve went into the land of Canaan to spy it out. Only two of them believed what God had promised. 120 years, Noah preached that judgment was coming. There were only eight who went into the ark. Elijah on Mount Carmel, after it was all over, Elijah said, and he went into a pity party, and here's what he said. <laughs> he said, I'm the only one that's left that hasn't bowed their knee to the image of Baal. And God tapped him on the shoulder and said, Elijah, wait just a minute. There's 7,000 over here who has not. You see, there's no escaping that day. When that day comes, when, when, when that happens, there, there's no escaping that day. I don't care who you are. There's no escaping that day. Now, I will say this. Praise the Lord for hope. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Often used in funeral services at graveside. 
And I've often asked the question, why do we wait till then to share this passage of Scripture? Because at that point in time, at that moment in time, it is too late for the one who has gone on. And who is it always for? It's for the ones who are left it's for the ones who are left behind. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. And I want you to notice as Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, notice what he says. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren. We want to make sure that you know. We don't want to, listen, we want to make sure there are no questions at the end of this. About those who are asleep. In other words, for those who have died. So that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. My dear friend of having no hope, not knowing what is at the end of that path for you when you close your, side, uh, your eyes on this side of eternity and open them on the other side where you will be. So that you don't have that absence of hope. Paul goes on in verse 14 and he said, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, those who have died in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the first fruits of those. He's the first fruit of those who have died. He prepared the way for us. As a believer today, we don't have to be concerned about death. We don't have to be worried about death. I mean, I've made this statement before. I'm not scared of dying. I just don't want it to hurt. Okay? If they ever figure out a way so it doesn't hurt, okay? That would be great, you know, sometimes. And, you know, in, in my own life, I, my prayer has been, God, when it comes that time for my life, just let me just close my eyes and then open them up in your presence, okay? Just that simple. And for God, that's not anything too difficult, okay? Just don't want it to hurt. But are you ready? Listen. But I know where I'm going. And I don't have to fear death today because I will be in his presence. Paul goes on and he says in verse 15, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So all of the saints who have already died and have been buried, for those of us who are alive when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to rapture, the church and his bride to take her home. I hate to tell you this, but we're all going together. Because the one's not going to prevent the other one from getting there any quicker. And notice as Paul goes on, verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we always be with the Lord. And then notice verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. They ought to be comforting, but yet they ought to be sobering. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now as to the times, or the time and the epics or the seasons, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. He said, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. 
while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. Boy, it sounds a lot like the message that Noah was preaching. Judgment's coming. Folks, please listen to me. Judgment's coming. The same message from Noah. Judgment is coming. It is up to us to be prepared. It is up to us to be ready. And my dear friend, there is not a single one of you sitting in this auditorium today nor watching online that will be able to stand before a holy God and say, I did not know. You will not be able to claim that. Verse 4, but you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and be sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. Now look at verse 9 and verse 10. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that we, that, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together, what? In him. There's a remedy for hopelessness. It's called the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the real question, it brings me all the way back around full circle to the real question. Is one direction in life better than another? Is one direction in life better than another? So what really does matter today? Well, I'll tell you what. Just flip over to 1 Timothy chapter number 2. Paul writing in his closing times of his life as he writes to young Timothy. As he writes to young Timothy to encourage and challenge Timothy and call Timothy to the calling of God on his life that he had been called to. And for Timothy to be equipped with everything that Timothy could be possibly equipped with. So we come to 2 Timothy chapter, or 1 Timothy, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter number 2 beginning in verse number 1. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1. First of all, then. I urge that entreaties, in other words, pleas, requests, and prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Look at verse 4. Who desires for what? Who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Did you know that's God's desire? Do you realize the relationship that God intended for between himself and man was broken? And God knew. God knew before the foundation of the world what was going to be necessary. What was going to be required for man to be able to enter into that relationship once again with him. And it was through his son, Jesus Christ. 
And then when you read verse number 6, who gave himself a ransom for all. The testimony given at the appropriate time. He gave himself a ransom for all. Folks, listen to me. Please listen to me. And all of those who are listening to my voice online, do you understand and realize that God paid a ransom for you? A ransom for you. You know why he did that? He did it because he loves you. And I will say this from now till I find myself in his presence. We, from a physical perspective and a finite mind and the world of time that we live in today, you you and I will never be able to comprehend the magnitude of such love until we find ourselves in his presence. Do you realize what you and I, as a result of that ransom, have today? You and I have what we do not. We do not in any way, shape or form, ever deserve. And that's his son, Jesus Christ. And then finally, this morning, what a demonstration by God. What a demonstration by God. Matter of fact, just to show us the importance of it, I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to the closing of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter number 7. As Jesus relayed all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, this is what it means to live in the kingdom. This is what is necessary. This is what is required to live in the kingdom. And it's interesting when you go and you look at, there was no greater teacher, there was no greater preacher than Jesus himself. And as he brings the Sermon on the Mount to a close in chapter number 7, he brings it ultimately down to this. And here's what's so amazing. The Word of God starts out with a choice. Noah presented a choice. Abraham was presented a choice. Moses presented a choice. Joshua presented a choice. Elijah presented a choice. Choices are all the way throughout Scripture. And it is no different with Jesus. As you come to the close of the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things that I want you to notice that he does, and he solidifies for us the answer. There is only an A or a B. There is only a yes or a no. There is no in-between. And so what does he do? Chapter 7 and verse 13. There are two gates and two gates only. And let me share with you something about those two gates. You can't straddle them. You can't say, well, I'll take the best of this one, and I'll take the best of this one over here, and I'll just straddle the two of them and get the best of both worlds. Uh, It doesn't work that way. There's two gates. There's only two gates. 
And you're ready for this? One of them's wide, and the other one's narrow. You ever thought about that? Eight people went into the ark. Whole generation died off under Moses. I wonder, why would Jesus deal with two gates, one narrow and one wide? Well, verse 13. Notice what he said, enter through the narrow gate. Hmm, That's the one you ought to go through. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to what? Now read the next part of that. And few find it. Is that what it says? Okay, folks. I don't want to go back and preach all of this over this morning. Hopefully you're with me. What did he say about the wide gate? The end of verse 13. And there are many who enter through it. But now look at verse 14. For the gate is small and the way is narrow. That leads to what? To life. Are you ready for this? And few find it. Few find it. Why? Why? Why is it that so few go that way? Something so simple, yet so profound. So simple that many say, it's too easy. It's too simple. My dear friend, have you ever allowed this to sink into your heart and into your brain? That what is required and what is necessary to satisfy a holy God, you and I could never do. That's why the writer of Hebrews said, if the blood of bulls and goats could have taken care of what was necessary to appease a holy God, then Jesus Christ would not have had to have died. But he had to. It was necessary. Why? Because you and I cannot do what is required. But here's what he said. He said, because I love you, I'm going to prove my love to you. In that while you were a sinner, an enemy of God, I sent my son to die in your place. I don't care who you are. I don't care how religious or spiritual you think you are. I can tell you right now today, if we're all honest with each other, we cannot get our hands around that. That's why it takes faith just to place our trust in him. Here's something else Jesus did in closing the Sermon on the Mount. 
He said, let me just classify folks in two categories for you. How many of y'all, okay, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to sing this morning, okay, like I did last Sunday with I Want That Mountain or It Gets Sweeter As the Days Go By. I won't do that to Miss Marion over here that I did to to Miss Jenny last week, but I will do one for you. How many of you grew up in church, you went to Sunday school? How many of y'all remember the songs we used to sing in Sunday school? Okay. How many of you, when you were a child, you sang songs in Sunday school? Do you remember them? Okay. How many of y'all sang the songs such as this one? <clears throat> oh, man. Where was I? Here you go. The wise man built his house upon a rock. The wise man built his house upon a rock. The wise man built his house upon a rock, and the rains came tumbling. Oh, let's do it. All right, let's do the motions. And the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down, and the floods came up. The rains came down, and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up and the house on the rock stood firm. You ready for this one? (laughs) The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand and the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the sand went, hey, y'all got it. Wow. Here's what Jesus said about those. See, the wise man, the wise man who made the choice in his life just to follow and to believe God. His house was built on what? Rock. Let me ask you where yours is built at today. What's it built on? Is it built on him or is it built on yourself? But then he... Then we find the other one. It was the foolish man. Thought he had all the answers. Thought he had it all together. (laughs) He knew what was he knew he knew the best route to take. But what happened? Here's something I want to share with you. Please listen. Both the wise man and the foolish man all looked at the same data. All 12 who went into the land of Canaan looked at the same data. The choice that was given to the children of Israel was all a look at the same data. What was different? But what was different? They just chose to trust God. The eight who went into the ark just chose to trust God. 
Joshua and Caleb just chose to trust God. Elijah just chose to trust God. My question to you today, who are you going to trust? Yourself? You're going to trust the government? Are you going to trust the world system? Are you just going to trust God? I'm not finished. The end of the description of the foolish man says this about the fall. Jesus said it was great. Now I will close with this. What profit is there for a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The cost is great. The cost is great. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father.